I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you don't feel represented in mainstream wedding media, if you haven't been dreaming about your wedding day since you were six years old, and if you don't want to have an Instagram wedding, then you are in the right place. Welcome back to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I am super excited for today's episode all about how to make your wedding more feminist, more inclusive, more um, just, you know, equal and equitable for all of the wonderful people at your wedding, including yourself and your future spouse. I want to start off by apologizing. There is some construction that's been on and off. Uh, happening down the street from my place. And every time I start to record, it seems to start back up. So I'm hoping if I just keep going, um, the noise will die down. Uh, So apologies for any strange background noise uh, on this episode. So my plan for this episode is I'm going to go through the like typical timeline of a wedding day and just sort of point out different ways that you could make that part of the timeline more feminist, more inclusive, just more like loving for all of the different people in your wedding, uh, including yourself and your spouse. So I do want to say, of course, I am not an expert. Um, I am not, you know, I consider myself a feminist, but I'm not like a studied academic feminist. <laughs> God, the construction noise is just getting worse. Um, I also did do an episode earlier on about how the groom should be in charge of planning their own wedding day too, which I think is a super um, feminist friendly episode. So head back and listen to that one. Um, And I do want to say, though, this episode is going to focus more on the actual wedding day and how to make that more uh, inclusive and feminist. I think this starts well before the wedding day. It's all of the wedding planning Um, So much of the wedding planning falls on the uh, bride's shoulders. If this is a wedding with a bride and a groom, a a man and a woman, so often it's the woman who um, is doing all of the planning. And even, you know, in my own relationship, I know this. um, It still seems to most of the wedding planning tasks have fallen to me. 
Um, and even though we will, you know, divide up some of the big tasks, it seems all of the emotional and the mental labor, like remembering the tasks, deciding what those tasks are, you know, coming up with the to-do list, checking to make sure things got done, all of that is still very much on my shoulders. And I'm sure if you are a bride in a bridegroom couple, you are nodding along. This is just, um, this sucks. <laughs> That's the way it is. And it's something I think couples see, not just in wedding planning, but just in their relationships and, you know, their families as well. It often falls on the wife, on the mother, to take care of the emotional and mental labor for the households. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind as well, that it's not just the wedding day that you want to make more feminist and inclusive, but all of your wedding planning and then hopefully your life and your family moving forward. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is that it's a great idea to do some research on any of the traditions that you're incorporating in your wedding. Unfortunately, a lot of them have very um, anti-feminist anti-inclusivity origins. Uh, so even if, you know, you are, I don't know, wearing white because you think it's beautiful and you just really love the idea, maybe the origins of that uh, don't really sit well with you. So something to think about, something to keep in mind, but let us dive into the actual wedding day. So the wedding day typically starts with hair and makeup. And in a traditional hetero wedding with uh, gendered wedding parties, this will usually be something that just the bride and the bridesmaids all take part in. So right away, I think there's a lot we can do with a feminist lens for this. So first of all, just consider that, you know, your wedding party, of course, does not need to be gendered, does not need to be even. You're allowed to have men, women, all genders, all people standing up on either side. Um, you can have you know, different, you can have three people on the groom side, five people on the bride side, does not matter. You can have nobody, you don't need to have a wedding party at all. Um, so take that into consideration, especially if you are having um, people, you know, if you're a bride and you're having people who don't identify as women as part of your wedding party, it can feel uh, really exclusive to say, oh yeah, me and the girls are going to get ready and things like that when you have people in your party who don't identify as women. Um, and even people, you know, who do identify as women, they might not be into these sort of beauty treatments. For a lot of people, getting hair and makeup done is not, you know, something they do regularly. This might not be something they're comfortable with. It might not be something they want to pay for. Um, perhaps they want to do it themselves. Maybe, you know, they know their skin um, type or, you know, they have sensitivity with their hair or allergies, whatever it is. I think there's just a lot of room here to be a little bit more open and sort of say, um, you know, how can we make this part of the wedding day more inclusive for everyone and not a mandated, all of the women have to get their hair and makeup done. It's, you know, it's just the women, that sort of thing. So I think you could make this optional. You could say like, hey, you know, I'm going to be hiring a hair and makeup artist. If you'd like to get your hair and makeup done, like here's who I'm hiring, check out their website, let me know. Uh, here's the cost if it's not something that you're covering. Um, you can also just make it uh, an experience. You know, often it is the bride and the bridesmaids who are getting their hair and makeup done. And then the groom and the groomsmen are kind of like doing their own thing. Um, sometimes, you know, they're just not even meeting up yet. But you could make it more inclusive and have everyone get all uh, ready together. It doesn't have to be something that's divided up by gender. So you could have, hey, you know, we're going to have hair and makeup. We're also going to have um, someone come by and like buff people's nails. That's something, you know, even if you don't want nail polish, like if you don't want color, you could get your nails buffed. We're going to have 
uh, somebody coming through to do shoulder massages or uh, face masks or, you know, like who's to say that um, men aren't able to get hair and makeup done? Like that could be a really nice thing if you have, you know, a barber come through to sort of clean up um, the men's hair or give them like, you know, a nice fresh hot shave. Of course, all of these things cost money. So you'll have to see, you know, what works. But I love the idea of it being like, oh, this isn't just something that the bride and the bridesmaids go off and do. It's something that the entire wedding party, the bride and the groom, all your special people, everyone can get together and sort of get ready together in the morning. I think that's super cool. Another thing to think about here um, and sort of thinking about the equality of the wedding party is so often women in a wedding party end up spending way more money than men. You know, they have to buy shoes, they have to buy their dress, they have to pay for their hair to get done, for their makeup to get done, they have to get jewelry. And men sometimes get away with just like renting a suit jacket for like $40 or something like that. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Like how can you bring the cost down and make it a more equal investment for both the men and the women in your wedding party because it's not really fair if all of the bridesmaids are shelling out hundreds of thousands or hopefully not hundreds of thousands of dollars but hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars just to be in your wedding um, and the men don't have to do that so I think that's uh, some really good things to think about for the hair and makeup period. After that, we move into getting dressed. So here, I think the big thing is, you know, you don't have to wear the big white dress. A groom does not have to wear a black tuxedo. Uh, you can be way more open with the styles that you want to wear, the colors, the fabrics. <laughs> um, you don't have to do the big white dress and the black tuxedo. You can just pick things that feel more like you. Um, you know, as a woman, you can wear pants. There have been some incredible bridal jumpsuits out there. You can wear a tux. As a man, of course, you could wear, um, you know, we've seen grooms like in shorts. You could wear a dress. You could wear a skirt. You can wear whatever you want. Anything that feels like the two of you that feels, you know, really special and you want to celebrate your day. Um, it doesn't have to be white. You know, if you don't want to wear white, obviously, um, that's got that whole like virgin context to it. Uh, if that's not something you're really, really wanting to promote or have a part of your day, you don't have to wear white. Um, and I love the idea of calling both of the, again, if you're in a hetero wedding here with a bride and groom, calling both of your clothing choices, like your wedding outfits and giving both of them a ton of importance. Cause usually there's all this importance stacked on the bride's dress. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. The groom will be there. Sure. He'll show up whatever he's going to wear. But I love the idea of making both of those outfits really special, like taking time to go try them on. This is something that my partner and I really did. I think we probably spent more time um, on his suit than on my dress. And it was fun for us to like go and pick out fabrics and get it fitted and think about the lining on the inside and the, you know, if we want to get a matching vest and socks and things like that. So I love the idea of making both uh, partners outfits really important. Next on a typical wedding day timeline, we're going into the first look. So this is when the uh, couple sees each other for the first time and you see each other all dressed up. So of course, if you're getting ready together, uh, you're not really going to have a first look because you'll kind of see each other during the whole process of getting ready. This is a super romantic option and it's something my partner and I are going to do and I'm actually really looking forward to it. I love the idea of spending our wedding morning together and having this like special alone time as we both get ready for the big, big day. And I think I included this um, back in episode 72, which was 10 special moments for the two of you on your wedding day. This is definitely one of the ways to create that special time together and totally take all of that pressure off of a first look. If you are going to do a first look, uh, I think you should try to make it about both of you. So often the groom is like already standing out there. 
Um, and it's all about like his reaction to the bride, but why not have it so that both of you have a reaction when you both get to see each other. So instead of having the groom, you know, stand out in the middle of the garden all by himself with his back turned and the bride walks up and taps him on the shoulder, you could have like both of you come around, you know, two different corners of a building and you see each other for the first time, you both get to have that big reaction. Um, apologies again, this construction noise is getting is getting a little ridiculous. Um, other ways to make the first look special is, you know, really make it that private moment. So I understand, of course, you probably want your photographer there just to capture that moment so you can remember it, but it doesn't need to be this huge production with like your parents and your wedding party and aunts and uncles, like everyone watching you, because then it really becomes more of like, you're putting on a face for everyone else. You want to make sure you have this perfect reaction. You can also give it more meaning. This could be a time when you exchange cards or gifts with one another. Um, if you're going to do sort of like, you know, secret vows, just the two of you, I think that makes it more special and less just about what you're wearing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So after the first look, we are going into couple portraits. So, so many times we see couple portraits where it's very obvious that the bride is like the center of attention and the groom almost becomes like part of the background or a prop. Uh, you might not even realize this, but all of those photos where it's like the bride's face and her hand with the rings and like the groom is completely turned around. It's like the back of his head. Um, and, it, you know, it looks super pretty. You're like, oh, what a romantic shot. But isn't it kind of weird that like the other partner um, is not even facing the camera, like we can't even see his face or, you know, his face is totally turned. Um, so I, I think trying to make the photos about both of you and not making it so that one of you is more of a prop or part of the background. Uh, I love the idea of doing solo shots. A lot of photographers will take, um, you know, the couple and just take some single shots of just, again, in a hetero relationship, just the bride, just the groom. More often than not, it's just the bride photos that get taken, but try to say, hey, you know, if we're going to spend a few minutes taking portraits of just the bride, let's spend a few of just the groom, you know, check out his outfit. Sure, he might not have, you know, a veil and a bouquet, but maybe he's got a bow tie and a really cool pocket watch and other things that he wants to show off. Just making sure that all of the poses and the portraits that you're doing are true to the two of you you're never being put in situations where like oh this is really uncomfortable like you know this isn't obviously you know posing of course if you're not models this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable there might be parts of it that you know sort of make you feel silly um but as long as you're not being put into positions that are kind of like whoa this really does not feel right for us like you know i don't want to be standing in front of my groom the entire time and having him you know act like a background actor here i really want it to be about the two of us those are conversations you can have with your photographer ahead of time and definitely on the day of feel free to speak up if things get uncomfortable 
From there, we will move into wedding party portraits. So again, this is another reminder to uh, go ahead and have that mixed gender wedding party. There's no need to have just bridesmaids, just groomsmen. You can totally mix it up and you can totally have uneven numbers. It doesn't need to be, you know, four and four or five and five, whatever it is. You can do whatever you want and having that option for them to wear outfits that they are comfortable in um, just because somebody, uh, you know, presents as a woman or identifies as a woman doesn't mean they're comfortable in a dress. Um, same with, you know, the, the men, they may not be comfortable in the full suit or tuxedo, whatever you have decided for them. So just being really uh, open with your wedding party as you are choosing the people who you want to stand up there with you, making sure you're taking um, all of their preferences and feelings into consideration. For the wedding party portraits, I think a great way to make them uh, more feminist and inclusive is just to really get rid of any of those sort of cheesy, really, shots that just play on gender stereotypes. So there's those shots where it's all of the groomsmen like pulling the groom back. So, you know, so he doesn't go off and marry the bride, um, which is like, you know, okay, it's kind of funny when you see the shot, but it's like, okay, what are we, what are we really saying here that, you know, getting married is so awful. All of his friends, you know, don't want him to get married. Like that's pretty dated thinking. Um, there's that shot we see where all the groomsmen pretend to be like the bridesmaids so they have those poses of them like freaking out over the groom's ring and it's like mm, do we need to be making fun of like women and <laughs> and things like that like it's just the whole thing's a bit silly um even the idea of like you know saying okay we're just gonna take shots with the women right now like why do we need to do that? Especially if you do have a man standing up on the bride's side, you know, when do they take their photos? Which, which shot are they supposed to be part of? Um, if you have a situation where you're pairing every bridesmaid with a groomsman for a photo, like, do you need to do that? Is that, is there a reason why there needs to be a man woman pair? Um, you know, for your photos. And it's just little things like this and asking questions. And you might not even think about it. Like I'm thinking back to weddings that I've been in. I have taken, you know, all of these photos. I've been paired with uh, a groomsman as a bridesmaid to take photos standing next to this person I don't know, <laughs> who just happens to be the same height as me. Um, so we ended up taking photos together. And it's just little things like that, that I think if you start to question, and especially if you work with a photographer who is, you know, super feminist and inclusive and open to new ideas, they could also offer a lot of really cool alternatives that probably work better for you and your wedding party. All right, moving into the ceremony. This is going to be a big one. I've got lots of feminist and inclusive ideas for the ceremony, so buckle up. <laughs> Starting with your way in. So the aisle walk. Obviously, traditionally, the groom is already at the front and the bride will walk in with her father. Um, I know in some cultures, the groom also does an aisle walk, which I think is super cool. So that's already, you know, step number one to make your wedding more inclusive. Why is it just the bride who gets to walk down the aisle? The groom should totally have that moment too. It's his wedding. So you could do that. You could add a groom walk. Um, you could add the bride walking in with both parents. I think it's a little bit dated to have the bride just walk in with her father, especially when she was raised by, you know, both her mother and her father. If she was, I think that's a really great way to honor both of those people in your life. You could have the couple walking in together. I think this is so cool. Um, and it's something my partner and I are kind of doing. I love the idea of like, it's the two of us walking into our marriage, you know, as as a couple, like this is how we're walking in together, we're walking out together, we're coming in as like two adults who choose this, who want this for ourselves. You could do that by walking down all by yourself. You don't have to have anyone. Um, you know, the, the groom could walk down, the bride could walk down, they don't need to have any parents or anyone escorting them. Or you could get rid of the aisle walk altogether. That's really what my partner and I are doing. We're just gonna already be at the front when our guests show up. So there won't be a big come down the aisle moment. Next, you could question the whole tradition of being given away. So again, in a traditional wedding, we have the father of the bride 
giving her away to the groom um, already. That line should just make you feel really icky. And also the whole like asking the dad's permission for the bride's like hand in marriage. Ugh, don't like that. Um, if you need to do anything, I would say you should ask for a blessing, not permission. And you should be asking both of her parents um, for her blessing. But even then, uh, the decision obviously comes down to the actual person getting married. And if it were me, you know, I would rather be included in that decision first before my parents. Um, that's just that's just how I feel about it. So uh, sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but back to giving away. So uh, I don't love the idea of the bride being given away by her father. I don't think that's super feminist. And there are lots of ways you can change that. So I know in some traditions, they will ask, um, you know, when they get to the end of the aisle, the uh, religious person will say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the traditional answer is like, I do, or her mother and I do. But I think there's some great ways to change that. So an alternative would be um, the religious person, your officiant, whoever says, instead of saying, who gives this woman to be married to this man, can say to your parents, do you support your child's decision to join together in holy matrimony with this other person? And do you vow to receive this other person as a member of your family from this day on? I think that is such a more beautiful way of asking your parents for their support and, you know, including the uh, new person you're marrying into your family's life. I think that is so much better than just who gives this woman to be married to this man. Like, you know, you're a cow being bought. Um, and even if, you know, if, if you don't get that kind of wiggle room, like if you're priest, pastor, whoever says, no, sorry, we have to ask the question that way. You can also change the answer. So instead of saying, you know, I do, or her mother and I, do, your parents could say she gives herself with our blessing, which I think is such a cool little like F you to the tradition of this question. Um, other language that you could change. So instead of having your officiant say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please take a seat or please rise. You could change that to loved ones. There's no need to have gendered language there. Um, instead of your officiant saying, do you promise to honor and obey your husband? Blech. <laughs> they could say, do you promise to support and encourage your partner? And there's no need for honoring and obeying. Like, <laughs> Instead of saying, you may now kiss your bride, your officiant can say, you may now seal your marriage with a kiss. That's way, That way, it's more of a thing that both of you are doing, and it's not, you know, the groom just taking a kiss. Um, instead of saying, I now pronounce you man and wife, they can say, I now pronounce you married. Again, no need to keep gendered language in there. Um, and even if you do want to keep gendered language in there, I would uh, encourage you to go with husband and wife over man and wife. That's just not got the best ring to it. Other ways to make your ceremony more feminist and inclusive would be having the bride speak first. Traditionally, the groom will go first in terms of vows and saying that I do and doing the rings and things like that. But having the bride go first is a nice little small way to sort of subvert that tradition. You can add more female voices to your ceremony. So you could have a female officiant. If you're having any readers, those could be like female uh, members of your family or friends, you know, aunts, nieces, cousins, whatever. Um, you could have any of the readings actually written by females. So instead of reading, um, you know, a sonnet or whatever by a male poet, you could find one written by a female poet just to, again, get those female voices throughout your ceremony. You could also add words about equality right into your vows. You could straight up, you know, if being feminist and having a really equal partnership and being inclusive is important to you, you can put that right into your vows. So here's an example. Um, in your vows, you could say, I promise to engage as an equal partner in every aspect of the life we're creating together to share joys, sorrows, victories, and hard work that and the hard work that building a life together requires. So something like that, saying equal partner, um, saying, you know, something of like, you know, I won't lead, I won't follow, like I'm standing right next to you. Um, 
saying straight up in your vows about, you know, creating an open and inclusive, loving home where everyone feels welcome. Those are, you know, if those are things that are important to you and your relationship, I think that's so amazing to include right into your vows. And if you need any more vow info, head back to episode 67 called Everything You Need to Know About Vows. Lastly, my last uh, little feminist slash inclusive change for the wedding ceremony would be obviously the last name. Traditionally, at the end of a ceremony, your officiant will say like, oh, now for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith. Um, you could always consider, you know, not changing your last name or even if you are at least, you know, sort of changing that line a little bit to include um, both of you. It doesn't have to be, let's say, you know, uh, you're Jane Anders and he's John Smith. Um, you could say Mr. and Mrs. Jane and John Smith, or just it's Jane and John, it's the newlyweds, it's Jane Anders and John Smith, whatever you want to do. If you need some more info about your last name, whether or not you should change it, head all the way back to episode 25 called Should You Change Your Last Name? After the ceremony, let's go in to cocktail hour. So I couldn't really think of too many things that were specific to cocktail hour when it comes to uh, making your wedding more feminist, but I did think this is a good time to talk just about money, um, as cocktail hour is probably the first part of the day where it's like, oh wow, somebody had to pay for us to be here to be drinking this alcohol, eating these appetizers. So obviously, traditionally, uh, the bride's family is paying for the wedding. Um, actually, maybe not obviously. So in some cultures, traditionally, the bride's family will pay. In other cultures, it's actually the groom's family, and they are paying the bride's family uh, to sort of like, you know, buy her off of them. Um, so there's obviously uh, not not great feminist expectations there that the bride's family should have to pay for the whole thing, or that either family should have to pay for the whole thing. I've done a few episodes on money, including one on how to talk to your parents about money, and I love the idea of sitting down with both sets of parents and just getting really uh, honest and open about how much money, any uh, if they want to contribute any money, how much they are contributing, what that money goes towards. There's also paying for your wedding yourself. Um, if you head back to episode 62 called 11 Reasons to pay for your own wedding. Uh, I know it sounds awful to, to pay for your own wedding, to not accept money or help from other people, but there are some really convincing reasons uh, to pay for your own wedding. And obviously that's a pretty uh, badass feminist and inclusive move to not have uh, just the bride's parents paying for the whole thing. So after cocktail hour, we are going into dinner. So traditionally, this will start with the entrance of the wedding party and the bride and groom. Um, I've probably said this on past podcasts, but the wedding party doesn't really need their own entrance. Uh, people, people don't love it. <laughs> it's not, it's not that fun. Um, nobody really cares to watch like your uh, sorority sister and cousin come in doing horrible dance moves to a song that was popular 10 years ago. Most people don't know everyone in the wedding party, so it doesn't mean much to them if they, you know, do something silly or they're embarrassed. The wedding party themselves probably don't really want to do it. Um, it takes up time. Yeah, it's just not a big deal. Like nobody, <laughs> the majority of the people at your wedding don't really care who your wedding party is, you know, by name. They don't need to know all their names. They don't need to see them try to dance to old songs into the middle of the dance floor, not a big deal. But I totally understand if you and your partner want to have an entrance. I think that's super cool. Again, this is uh, back to the last name stuff that we talked about with the ceremony about how you want to enter. Um, instead of being Mr. and Mrs. John Smith, you can say again, you know, let's hear it for the newlyweds for the first time tonight, Jane and John, whatever it is, you don't have to automatically assume a brand new name um, for your dinner. 
during dinner and the reception is also when there seems to be a lot of people coming up and talking to the couple. And more often than not, when there are questions like, you know, if a vendor is wondering, oh, hey, like, where is the cake going? Or, um, oh, we can't find those flowers you wanted to put on the table. Or, oh, the police are here because you're being too loud and they want to shut us down. Nine times out of 10, those questions are going to the bride. Again, in a hetero couple with a bride and a groom. I apologize. I'm talking a lot to um, hetero couples with a bride and a groom. And I I think the reason why is because automatically when you are in um, a different relationship that's not, you know, a cis hetero bride and groom, if you're two men, two women, non-binary, whatever it is, a lot of these things just don't happen automatically. Like you would think, um, you know, a first look, if it's going to be two brides, obviously, you know, there's not really that decision of like, okay, which one of us should be the one waiting? Like, you know, both of you want to show off your outfits or, you know, hair and makeup. If it's two grooms who, you know, don't use hair and makeup, that's just not part of their day. So it's, more for the couples who are, um, you know, hetero cisgendered who have to sort of consciously make these decisions of like, oh, wait, you know, we're just doing things in the typical traditional way. We're not really thinking about it. Whereas couples who don't fall into those easy molds, they already are thinking about all these things because it just, you know, just doesn't work for them. So <laughs> that is why I'm making so many um, bridegroom examples today. Sorry, back to what I was saying. So nine times out of 10, all of those questions from vendors, from guests, you know, about any logistics or little fires that need to be put out during the wedding are coming to the bride. So obviously, um, the feminist move here is to make sure that those questions are coming to both of you. So this helps, you know, if throughout wedding planning, your groom was just as involved as the bride and, you know, was part of everything, knows all the answers and making sure that the groom actually takes responsibility for those things, even if he doesn't want to. Like, sorry, like if you want to get married, this is the work that goes into it. Even on the wedding day, you know, if you're the bride and people are coming up to you, you can say, oh, that's a great question. Can you go ask John? Like he's just over there goofing off with his buddies. He'd be happy to help you with that. Um, more often than not, it's also the bride who's running around, you know, trying to see everyone, trying to take photos with guests, say hi to everyone, and often doesn't get to eat or even like, you know, drink water. So making sure ahead of time that, again, both the bride and the groom are sharing those responsibilities and that they have food put aside for them. And somebody is coming up to them being like, hey, did you get some food? <laughs> like, let me grab you a plate. Let me get you some water. Um, if you are the couple listening to this, I think you can actually like make that a job for one of your wedding party people. Just say, hey, can you make sure that I eat tonight? Like, can you put a plate aside for me? Can you come up every hour and, and hand me a water or something like that? Especially if you are having a big busy wedding, you'll know that you will get uh, stuck talking to guests and vendors and just everywhere um, around the wedding that is not eating at your table. So making sure that somebody is helping you uh, remember to eat and drink. After dinner, we're moving into the toasts. So traditionally, this is a lot of men speaking. It's usually the father of the bride and the best man who will get up and give toasts. But I love the idea of putting more women into this. So instead of just the father of the bride, you can have the parents of both uh, the bride and the groom, again, bride and bride, groom and groom, have them stand up and give speeches, or even just the moms. I think that would be such a badass move to just have the two moms uh, stand up, or three moms, four moms, however many moms there are, have them stand up and give speeches. Obviously, uh, maid of honor, bridesmaids, any other important women uh, in your life could also stand up and speak. Also, I think it's really important for the bride to speak. Again, if this is a bride-groom relationship, I've been to so many weddings where just the groom will speak, um, you know, and, and the bride's like a great friend of mine. And I, I'm like, I get it. I know you're nervous. Uh, you don't like speaking in front of crowds, but like, this is your moment. This is your day, especially if, you know, you're the typical bride who has put in so much time and effort into planning this wedding. Like, this is your time to stand up and say a few words. Thank everyone for coming. Um, really just, you know, revel in all that love that's surrounding you. So I think it's super important for the bride to stand up and speak to and not just leave that to the groom. 
after toast, we are moving into dances. So the first dance, I think, um, is, is typically fairly inclusive. You know, it's you and your partner. Um, hopefully you've chosen, you know, the song together. The only thing I can think that could be improved here is so often the rhetoric around the first dance is like, oh, the bride is like, you know, forcing the groom to go to dance lessons and she's chosen this super cheesy song and oh, he hates it. He's so embarrassed. Like, don't let him get away with that. That's crap. Um, make sure you get your groom's buy-in. And that can even just be telling him ahead of time, like, hey, this first dance is super important to me. Like, I want you to be excited about it too. So how can we do that? Like, should we choose the song together? Do we want to like, you know, do we want to take dance lessons? Do we want to like teach ourselves a dance off YouTube? Do we just kind of want to wing it? Um, but having him be just as excited and not have it be a moment where the bride kind of has to drag him to the dance floor. In terms of other dances, there's usually like the father-daughter dance, the mother-son dance. I don't love how gendered those are, and I think we could do a lot of work there to make those more inclusive. It's just kind of crap because, again, it is the father of the bride who gets this big moment. And again, just like the aisle walk, the mother of the bride is completely forgotten about. Um, and if this is a typical wedding, it's usually the mother of the bride who's put in a lot more work and planning and effort to make this day happen. And I think she should get a special moment, too. So I love the idea of doing all of the parent dances together. So it's not, you know, just father, daughter, mother, son, but it's like, hey, we're going to have like a fun family dance. We're going to bring up, you know, the bride's parents, the groom's parents, maybe some of the siblings, and we're all just going to like, you know, dance together. It could be slow dances, you can change partners, or it could be a fast dance, <laughs> a non-slow dance, you know, you're all together. Um, my dad always used to joke that we were going to play the uh, We Are Family song and I'll just like goof off on the dance floor for a few minutes, which I think is amazing. Um, also, don't be afraid to dance with someone of the same gender. There's no reason why a daughter can't dance with her mom. No one's going to think anything of it. It's not a problem. Just again, think about same-sex couples. They, you know, if they want to have a first dance, yep, it's going to be a man and a man or a woman and a woman dancing together. So it's no big deal. Um, as a woman, you can dance with your mom. As a man, you can dance with your dad. It is totally fine. Uh, the last thing I'll say here on dances is just to pay extra attention to the songs that you're choosing. I think a lot of the songs that people are like, oh, wow, yeah, this is a perfect father-daughter song, um, are tend to be a little, not the most feminist songs. <laughs> There'll be a lot of like, very like strong patriarchal protective, like I loved you first, I'll protect you always. You're my little girl. Like I'm handing you off to this other man. It's like, mm, like she's an independent woman who's doing her own thing. Thanks. <laughs> so just being careful with the type of song you're picking um, to make sure it doesn't have any messages that you don't support. Okay, next we are moving into cake cutting. Um, so I would probably, you know, skip this altogether. We're definitely not doing this at our wedding. We're not really even having a cake. Um, and the reason I would do that is first, the origins of the whole wedding cake tradition actually comes from the cake kind of representing like the bride's fertility and her virginity. And it's like, it's a little bit weird. Um, it doesn't have great uh, origins, certainly not very feminist origins. Also, it's just kind of boring. Like nobody, nobody cares to watch you cut into a cake. Like it's not an exciting thing that you and your husband who are probably what, 25, 30, 40 years old, know how to cut into a cake. Like that's not a big deal. Um, it's a weird photo. Just if you if you think about it in terms of like photos you want to have, you probably say, oh, yeah, yeah, the cake cutting just because it's what people always do. But like, do you really need a photo of you and your husband both holding a knife and cutting into a cake? not a big deal. If anyone's excited about it, it's probably because they just really like cake and they can't wait for you to be finished so they can eat the cake. But honestly, it's not a, it's not a thing that you really need to do. Not a big deal. Um, there's also that, you know, little 
tradition of the bride and the groom squishing the cake into each other's faces. I think the consequence of the bride getting cake in her face is obviously a lot worse than the groom because more often than not, she'll have a face full of makeup and then she'll have to, you know, head off to the bathroom and sort of clean herself off, maybe reapply her makeup, fix her hair, whatever it is. So I don't want to rain on your parade if that's something you and your partner really want to do. You think it's going to be hilarious, amazing. But it's just one of those things that, again, you know, if you think about a little harder, if you ask some questions, you go, oh, yeah, that sucks. And it sucks more for the bride. (laughs) Um, There's also like some horrible jokes that I've seen and heard at weddings around the cake. That's kind of like, oh, wow, the bride can finally have some cake, you know, after months and months of not eating any sweets to fit into her dress. And just like, let's just leave all of that behind. There's really, there's really no need for that. All right, finishing it off here. Next, after the cake cutting, we have the bouquet and the garter toss. And the most feminist inclusive thing you can do is just completely, completely skip these. (laughs) If you want to know why, head back to episode 76 called 11 Things to Skip at Your Wedding Reception. And uh, hint, hint, uh, one of those things is the bouquet and garter toss. It's just horribly um, exclusive, makes your single friends feel bad, makes it sound like marriage is the most exciting thing and the only thing that all single people should be striving for, uh, pits women against each other, it, the man has to go up your dress in front of your grandma, just the whole thing is gross. So I am a big fan of skipping both the bouquet and garter toss. Lastly, we've got the dance floor. So I think just, you know, the idea of dancing with all of your friends into the wee hours of the morning is pretty feminist. There's not a ton um, that I think needs to be fixed here. The only thing I'd say is just, you know, if you are wanting to make your wedding more inclusive and feminist, just playing some really strong female artists. So whoever your fave um, female musicians are, making sure that they're part of the rotation that uh, is being played. If you're hiring a band or a DJ, I think it would be super cool if you could hire women. Um, or a women run or a woman run company. So often bands and DJs are men. Um, so I think it'd be really cool to get more women uh, in those roles and being able to support them. Also just making sure that like your DJ or whoever isn't making any really cringy announcements. Um, I'm just thinking of some DJs who have like, I don't know, some, like if, if they make any sort of announcement trying to call like all the women to the dance floor, because like, oh, you guys love this song and they play single ladies or something like that. It's just like, eh, we don't really need that. Uh, making sure that they're not playing any artists that like don't really align with your beliefs. So if you're not a big fan of, say, R. Kelly or Chris Brown or, you know, Michael Jackson or whatever it is for um, for very valid reasons, making sure that those aren't being played. But more often than not, I think the dance floor is a pretty feminist space, but there's definitely those ways to make it a little more feminist. All right, that is everything. I know this has been a very long episode, but I hope it gave you some things to think about. Um, Again, I'm not trying to like poo-poo on all wedding traditions or, you know, make you totally uh, start your day over from scratch, because just the fact that we live in a very patriarchal society means that just a lot of the things we do from day to day are not all that feminist and not all that inclusive. So I think anytime you can question that and come up with alternatives that work better for you, that better align with your values, that work better for your friends and family, your loved ones, make them feel more included, more loved, more comfortable. I think that's great. And I think there's a lot of space in the wedding day to do that, especially because weddings are so steeped in tradition. And, you know, once we're about men literally buying women (laughs) to come be, to come be their wives, I think there's so much room for us to add more feminism and inclusivity to those days. And I think that's super important. So thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it and happy wedding planning.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you found the episode helpful. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and a review, follow along so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend about the show. Remember, you shouldn't be spending your wedding day managing other people's feelings. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.